Welcome to the Carolina Contractor Show with your host, General Contractor Donnie Blanchard. And welcome, welcome, welcome. It is a brand new episode of the Carolina Contractor Show. My name's Eric Smith. I do inside sales for Home Builder Supply and Wilson. Across from me, general contractor and uh, I guess kind of a student right now, uh, Donnie Blanchard, also owner of Suretop Roofing and Blanchard Building. You were like doing some classes or something the other day, weren't you? Yeah, about three years ago, the North Carolina Licensing Board uh, made a requirement that we had to have eight hours of continuing education every year. And, um, you know, it may just be something to get a little bit of money uh, for their program. But, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of people bucket and a lot of the older guys just aren't going to do it. So yeah, it could be the money. It could be a way to weed out the people who aren't serious about contracting. But nonetheless, I'd say one out of three classes were really useful and I learned something. Do you think our show could have taught any of the people taking the class anything? Dude, that's all I thought about. <laughs> and it it took all I had in my body not to get in the chat and say, hey, if if you want some more continuing ed that's a little more entertaining, then tune in at thecarolinacontractor.com. And uh, yeah, it's tough to do a radio show on contractor topics in construction, home building, and sit through someone who uh, for four hours who's monotone and and you know good guy good guy that taught the long class but um i was sitting there thinking to myself dude if you did a radio show i would never listen <laughs> well high praise indeed to our own show for mr donnie blanchard now that he's gone through some more uh, continuing education classes and he dropped the website right there the carolinacontractor.com which obviously is about construction and building and houses and stuff is donnie was taking these continuing ed classes. That's stuff that he has to do as a general contractor. I, for one, don't have to do that stuff. I'm out of school. I'm too cool for school anymore. Uh, We also have a way for you to contact Donnie if you have a question. Maybe he's learned something and you want to test his knowledge. Well, you can go to the website and click on ask the contractor and ask him any question about your house. And it can be the inside or the outside or maybe a DIY tip or suggestion or whatever. Just, Just hit the website. We've got YouTube videos up there. You can, of course, download past shows too. We got a bunch of cool stuff up there. Again, the CarolinaContractor.com. And today's show, Donnie, is going to definitely delve right into construction because we're going to be talking about the process of building a house and all the decisions you have to make, right? Absolutely. And before we dive in, I wanted to comment that I got caught up on all of our podcast uploads. So we were about a month behind, but we cranked some really good shows out there that, of course, they went live on all of our radio stations, but we didn't get those, or I'm sorry, I didn't get those uploaded to our podcast software. So, um, you know, um, made some really cool covers and all that. We're dropping them on social media about every three days. So I think we have about five or six good shows that, uh, that you should check out when you have a moment. Yeah. And what you attributed to us being on the air live is some people might not realize if you just go through our website and listen to the podcast, we're on multiple radio stations throughout the state of North Carolina, and hopefully soon we'll be expanding that. But going back to today's subject, Donnie, you obviously have a whole lot more experience as a general contractor, as an owner of uh, SureTop Roofing and, and building houses and things like that than I do. But when people go to the extent of buying a house and they're going to have it built, there's so many things they need to know about. And we're not going to be able to cover them all. That would take a year's worth of shows. But we're going to hit some of the big things that people need to be aware of when they're going to be building a house. By building a house, we mean having a contractor like yourself do it. So let's start off with the foundation because the foundation is the big thing. Donnie, what are some things a home buyer who's having a home built 
needs to consider when it comes to the starting of the foundation. Right. Well, every lot is unique. And so if you have a sloped lot that may warrant a basement, I think that basements are the cheapest way to build by the square foot. You know, I'm I'm a fan of the precast walls. And uh, if you consider what it would cost to build a masonry foundation or even a masonry basement uh, block by block, it is exponentially more expensive than the precast walls. I think that the last couple jobs I did with precast, you know, ranged twenty to thirty thousand dollars for the walls, and of course, you have the excavation cost, you have the cost of the slab, but you basically double the size of your house. And so, a uh, big fan of a basement if you can do that. On top of that, they're so well insulated these days, and basically, it's five thousand psi concrete, so it is it is virtually leak proof without waterproofing even. We waterproof all those all the same just for peace of mind. But the precast walls, uh, of course, we go with superior walls. That's They're really popular in our area. And uh, the salesman's great. He, he basically handles everything start to finish. And like I mentioned before, you can't do a masonry basement for anywhere near the cost that you can the precast walls. And they're a lot faster to boot. Um, but basically figuring out if your lot will support a basement is the first thing you need to think about. If not, Of course, crawl space foundations are my next go-to in this area. I'm not a fan of a slab house. If you notice the production builders, you know, they save a lot of money by doing a lot of slab houses. And, you know, slab houses aren't terrible. Uh, It's just if you ever have a problem with the plumbing beneath the slab, it's it's a really expensive fix. And there's a lot more that can go wrong with a slab. If you are an age-in-place elderly couple and you plan on um, downsizing, for instance, you know, a slab house isn't a bad idea because... Everything's usually on the same level with the driveway, so you don't have any steps. With a crawl space, of course, you've got to pick out a brick. So that's your your main selection point. And the reason that's a big deal is because the brick will set the overall theme for the house. So if you go white brick, you know, that's really popular these, these days with a white brick, white mortar. You go with a rose color or, you know, a pink tint brick, you know, that's going to set the tone for what you can do for your siding and your roof. So a lot of big things have to happen up front and homeowners often get overwhelmed with that decision making. And big thing there with the brick is you have to decide on the size of the brick, whether it's modular or oversized brick. Every house I build, I push towards oversized brick because they're more expensive, but they're bigger and they cover more area. And I like a tumbled brick. So they basically knock off all the square edges and it's a good look. You'd be amazed at how many colors there are. You think brick is brownish or reddish, but as you said, you can get white and they come in probably three dozen different colors of bricks. You need to consider if you use a unique color brick, Five years, 10 years down the road, those bricks can be hard to find and you might not be able to get a very good match. So if something happened to the front of your house, uh, a tree fell and, and broke some brick and you go, yeah, I need these off-white aged painted bricks. They might go, I can get you some uh, Camden. I don't have anything that color. Just a FYI. Funny story. Uh, the hardest brick selection I've ever had is I built a doctor's office, I think in 2012 and um the doctor's wife, uh, she was adamant that she wanted to go to Spain to pick out her brick. And I'm thinking, okay, um, I don't know what I'm going to do in the meantime, but go for it. And this is back before everybody had an iPhone in their pocket. So she goes to Spain with a digital camera. She comes back with 300 digital camera images. And uh, basically, my brick salesman and I sat down with the lady multiple times. And she showed us, I like this one, this one, this one. So we narrow it down to 30 out of the 300 pictures. And then we narrow that down to 10. And then we narrow that down to two. And of course, when she decided on a brick, we said, okay, this is the closest match we have to what you think you want. Uh, Important note there, what you think you want. Uh, But she did not like a particular brown brick that was an accent brick in that 
particular color. So she says, well, I want that and I don't want the brown brick accent in there. So the brick company agreed to take the brown accent brick out of the whole run, but she had to buy a whole freight car of that. And of course we used all those brick, but that was their agreement. If we're going to take that color out of the brick and I thought, why not just buy them as is and have the brick mason discard the brown brick, but she didn't want to do it that way. And uh, yeah, that was very painful. And that salesman was a rock star. I was loyal to him forever after that. Still am. And yeah, that was a big deal. We have a lot of contractors coming in doing repairs on old houses that are from the 40s, 30s, 1920s. And they'll bring in pieces of mortar or brick from that house and say, can you match this? And I'm like, yeah, if I had a DeLorean that could travel 88 (laughs) miles an hour, because we ain't going to go back in time, you're going to have to work with what we have and you're not going to find it unless you can do some reclaimed brick. You were also talking about, you know, if you have a basement or crawl space, this is a big thing. You have ads for it and there's a lot of confusion. Sealed crawl spaces or vented, what should you pick? So every house that I've done a crawl space on in the last couple of years, I've done a sealed crawl space and it costs about an extra four to $5,000 depending on the size of the foundation, but it's very well worth it. You know, your insulation, uh, where, where we live, there's a lot of humidity in the warmer months. And it, it is a no-brainer for me with the sealed crawl space uh, because it keeps all that humidity out from under your house. And so you don't have all the the moisture that would eventually soak into the insulation. And uh, basically, it extends the life of every working part of your crawl space. The expensive part or what can make a sealed crawl space expensive is having to buy a dehumidifier and the alternative to that, basically tapping into your supply line uh, or your distribution box in the in the crawl space. And that will do the same thing as a dehumidifier. So uh, definitely a fan of the sealed crawl space, but uh, you can save a couple thousand dollars by not buying that dehumidifier and just tapping into your existing HVAC system. All right, let's get up out of the gutter or the basement, as we should say. And what are you seeing trending in styles of doors and windows? We could start with with whichever one you want to. Yeah, uh, I'll say that what's trending is is fiberglass windows. And uh, of course, everybody wants black or brown windows these days. They want the black or brown gutters to match those. But um, the only two options for black or brown was an aluminum clad out wood in window. So that's more expensive because you have to paint the wood interior portion of the window. But uh, with the fiberglass out, uh, it, it's a cheaper it's a cheaper alternative than the aluminum clad, and it still has a wood inside. But um, the vinyl, the black and brown vinyl windows, are a painted version, so they're almost guaranteed to fade or the paint chip over time. And um, and that for vinyl, they're super expensive versus the white alternative. So I'm seeing what's trending is is definitely the fiberglass out. The only thing about that is certain building supply companies do not carry the fiberglass windows. And, um, you know, I expect more and more people to have those uh, available. But, you know, of course, we've got accounts at four or five different building supplies. So we just go with whoever has the product that the homeowner is asking about. But if the homeowner has it in their budget to get a nicer window without breaking the bank, I think fiberglass is the way to go. What about doors? I know that fiberglass is big, but a lot of people like the traditional look and feel of a wood door. Right. You know, what would make my decision on that if I were my house is, is it a south facing door? So, um, you know, a real wood door is wonderful. It's a good look. It's very heavy, very sturdy, and they're expensive, but that's the front door of your home. And so when we do allowances on our 
uh, estimates, we'd normally give a heck of an allowance for a front door. And if it's south facing, of course, every time the season changes, that door is going to shrink and swell. There's no way around it. So you may have to fight that real wood door for a couple of years or more than a couple of years to keep it from sticking and just get it adjusted the right way. Because the, the dance there is how much you can adjust the door without compromising the weather strip. I mean, when the house is sealed up and you've got, you know, the spray foam insulation and, and you're controlling all your convective conductive heat transfer, the last thing you want is a leaky wood front door. So um, if I had to get away from wood, I would say fiberglass on the door would be my next alternative because basically it looks like real wood. If you're going to paint it, I think fiberglass all the way, but um, you know, wood door or fiberglass would be my one and two choices. Yeah. Cause you can get fiberglass doors that are smooth or you can get them to have the look of wood and a cu- there's a couple op- options of that in between. I will tell you, it's amazing though, how much an entry door can cost. People can walk in and say, I want a solid wood door and they'll pick out the design. It might be larger than a standard front door. And then they'll want side lights and, and things like that. And I remember quoting out a door to one lady and I said, yeah, uh, here's the price, $13,920. Front entry doors can be extremely expensive and people and windows too, how high of a quality you want to go. Just be prepared that it's not cheap. You're not going to buy a $150 window and a $350 door. Exactly. I think our our average allowance is $5,000 for the front door. And uh, a lot of people are wanting to do the 10-foot ceilings and 8-foot doors these days. So when you go to that 8-foot door, it's not hard to spend $5,000 on it. I, would, I want to comment on something else while we're on doors and windows. You know, if you are budget conscious and you want to go with a vinyl window, uh, the white vinyl, of course, is the the by far the cheapest option. And I just want to say that the energy code dictates the R value of the windows these days. So basically the cheapest window you can buy and one of the most expensive windows you can buy are all going to have the same R value and they require the argon gas between the panes and they have to have the low E coating, which is basically like an invisible sunscreen on the window. So all that is a requirement from the state, from the code enforcement folks and from the energy code. So, you know, if you get a cheaper vinyl window, performance wise, it does the exact same thing as the high dollar version. If you get a storm door that's full view, meaning it's mostly glass, that low E is a big deal because if your house faces, say, east or especially west, and you leave it open a lot, you have, say, a wood floor or carpeting, the sun will end up kind of bleaching out that floor or that rug. So that low E is really important when you're getting a door. And one other thing about doors that people might not realize when they're ordering them is we're going to ask you what hinge color you want. There's four or five, mainly the age bronze is still big or the satin nickel is really common, but that's what's going to go through a lot of your house. You're going to have everything match up. So be prepared to see what color options you have for your hinges. If it's a pre-hung door, you definitely have to have that decision made before you order the door. Now, Donnie, I don't know much about framing. I understand it, but that's something you deal with all the time. You want to jump into that aspect because people kind of see a house going up and they see the the skeleton and and people don't realize what's actually going on there. Right. The big deal with framing and the or the biggest budget conscious decision that has to be made is whether you stick frame a house and that's a slang or you set it with trusses. So you can have floor trusses, uh, roof trusses and Basically, those are prefab and they're built off site. They're brought on site and they're set with a crane. And if you're building 20 houses at a time and speed is the name of the game, then 
all day long. A truss is a great option. You know, strength wise, it's okay. It passes all the tests engineering wise, but I'm a big fan of stick framing everything. I don't, it doesn't cost any more from a framing labor standpoint. And if you look at the attic of a trust roof or a stick frame roof, you literally get double the storage space in that attic. And um, I'm just a fan of, of stick framing because it goes piece by piece. You don't have to, you're not rushed on the front end. And, you know, trusses are, are very matter of fact. If you don't have the outside to outside dimensions of your fully or finished frame walls, then those trusses could be off. So I think stick framing gives you um, a, a little bit of a variance. It gives you some, it, it gives you uh, the room to make a change on the fly. So if something changes with the framing in terms of the walls, then the roof can adapt to those changes. And, and basically it just gives you that flexibility on a custom build. And Donnie, if a homeowner's walking through their house and it's in the framing stage and they see all the two by fours and whatnot up and down, can you please confirm what I tell them? Cause maybe hearing it from a general contractor, they'll believe the look of the wood, if it's got knots or it's not the prettiest piece of wood, is not important. The main thing is that the wood is straight and it doesn't have cracks or anything in it, correct? Did you say a knot is not important on purpose? That was pretty cool. Um, yes, I did because <laughs> I'm a comedic genius. <laughs> no, you're, you're exactly right. Sometimes the studs can be unsightly and that's not a big deal. Um, it's very important that they're straight. So especially in areas where cabinets and countertops are going to make contact, you will definitely see the bow once the drywall cabinets and countertops go in. And so um, got a 6,000 square foot house going on right now, took an eight foot level in there and thought that I caught every single one. And when the drywall went on, we walked the house again. And of course, there were three or four areas where uh, we actually had to cut the drywall out before it was finished. And we fixed the stud with a planer and um, and we put it back. And, you know, everything has to be darn near perfect on the finished product. And when I fixed it, of course, that sounds like major surgery, but it took less than a half day. And that was definitely the time to do it. But, um, you know, a lot of those problems can be headed off. Uh, during the framing phase, if you can catch those. So for the most part, number one and number two graded lumber, the lower number being better looking lumber. But for framing, number two is fine. You just want to worry about anything that's going to be outside the walls like trim or things like that, right? Exactly. Yes, sir. All right. Let's move on to another thing that people confuse because they sometimes think they're the same thing. And that's plywood versus OSB, which is oriented strand board. They don't know when to use it. We have some customers come in and they'll say, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm doing some flooring. I need some half inch plywood. <laughs> and we'll say, well, you could use OSB. And they'll say, well, why should I use OSB? And said, well, it's just as good. And it's a heck of a lot cheaper than using plywood. So what are some examples of where you as a homeowner or having it built where you would see OSB being used versus plywood? So... <sighs> OSB. Um, I will say that the way that it tests out from an engineering standpoint is actually stronger than plywood until it gets wet. So the key with OSB is do not let it come in contact with water. If you look at a piece of OSB and you see it in the big box store, it looks like wood chips and glue and it's basically pressed together. Uh, it does serve the purpose, but it doesn't hold a nail as good as real plywood. So depending on what you're going to put on there, whether it be siding or what kind of roofing you're going to install, you know, uh, it's no secret that plywood will hold a nail and a screw a little bit better. But when you consider uh, the price difference, of course, plywood is so much more. And 
plywood can warp. You know, but plywood is basically uh, thin sheets of veneer all glued together. So if you look at the big picture of both products, I will say that plywood is definitely um, it, it, it's superior, it's stronger, but it is more expensive. And OSB will do. OSB passes the test on a lot of levels. So I, I would just say that for your walls and your roof, there's going to be a lot of both. So that's worthy to take into consideration when you make that decision. And if you're doing a small project and you now realize that OSB is can be just as good as plywood, depending on the application, it varies. But a four by eight sheet of seven sixteenths OSB is anywhere between ten and fifteen dollars less than half inch plywood. So buying that more expensive plywood doesn't really equate to a better product if the use is going to be kind of the same. Worthy to note on that is that OSB was $45 a sheet back when the wood uh, price increase really hit all the builders and homeowners. So uh, being that it's it's what ten dollars now, you would know that. I, I'm I'm not up on that, but no, no, it's um in the upper teens to around twenty two. It just depends on the what you're getting it for, but uh, it's still much cheaper than plywood. And yeah, it used to be way up there during COVID. And this is the Carolina Contractor Show talking about when you're having a house built, things you need to look for. And we're not getting to the nitty gritty, but just some of the basics, like we're talking about the foundation and framing and stuff. And Donnie, you're owner of Suretop Roofing. So this next section is really going to be right in your wheelhouse. And there are roofing choices people might not think about. Oh, you just put a roof on, you put shingles on and it's done. And it's not that simple. So Let's start off with the roof. It's time to make some choices. What does a home buyer need to do? Well, the first thing you need to decide is uh, what roof material you want. Some people are hell-bent on metal. And, of course, um, I tell people all the time that the metal is going to be about four times more than the shingles. But the metal warranty uh, is less than what the shingle warranty is. So I'm a shingle guy myself. Um, I think if you found a happy medium in that area, it would be shingles with a metal accent. So maybe a metal front porch or maybe metal water table, or we say bird boxes. I think the proper word is returns. Um, and that, that doesn't get too expensive. Uh, if you do go with a metal accent, I strongly recommend going with standing seam. Uh, the paint warranty on standing seam is a 40-year paint warranty. Uh, screw down is the slang for a lot of the metal that you see on the sheds that they sell on every corner, you know, the carports and all that. But that only has a 10-year paint warranty. It's a siliconized polyester uh, paint system, and that is not near as uh, as good as the Valspar and you know, the, the Kynar that they have for the 40-year. So that's the main thing. Uh, I would say that when you go with the shingles, that's where the devil is in the details because, of course, you, know, you guys sell a particular brand of shingles, and I think the old-school way of doing it was that you know you buy the architectural shingles and that's what you see from the outside it's pretty but you don't really know what's under the hood a lot of these uh, folks they will substitute three tab shingles for the ridge cap and the starter strip have you seen that a lot what i want to differentiate is if you're doing a repair job they might get a a thing of 25 three tab because that is practical but if someone walks in and says i need 75 or 80 bundles of 30 year and then i need three bundles of the three tab, I kind of go, you might want to be using the the Swift starter or the pro start, whatever brand you're using. Right. I agree wholeheartedly. And the the big reason that's important is because on a three tab shingle, you know, I think it's uh, maybe 10 inches tall, maybe 
uh, I think 10, 11 inches tall. And the tar strip or the sealer on the three tab is five inches down. So if you flip that three tab upside down and use it as a starter, the very first point to seal is five inches up. And, it, you know, during a windstorm, of course, on a gable or a rake in is the proper word there. Uh, if the wind comes in and, you know, basically gets up under that architectural shingle, a real authentic starter strip has the seal right out by the outside of the roof. So you're, you want the seal to be right out by the outermost edge. And that's the way that you have the best wind warranty. So, uh, you know, that, that three tab upside down is just not a good idea. Uh, it's a, it's not even a shortcut. It doesn't, doesn't save you any time. If anything, it just saves you about $10 maybe per bundle, but with starter strip, I think it's uh, 120 linear feet of coverage. So if you think about the perimeter of a house, you never need more than three or four bundles of starter strip for a whole house. And you're saving $30, $40 to compromise the wind warranty on the whole roof system. Yeah. So I priced it out and it's about for a, an average size house. It adds maybe $100 to use the correct starter strip. More importantly, some manufacturers of shingles, if you do not use their designated starter strip, it voids the warranty or will limit your warranty. And some of these warranties are 40, 50 years long. Absolutely. Everything we do is 50 years. And so it's uh, it, it it's really uh, worth it just to spend the extra couple hundred dollars on the materials and use the right thing. We If we do a GAF roof, for instance, we use ProStart for the starter strip. We use Sealer Ridge for the ridge cap. And when they do those three-tab shingles, a three-tab shingle maximum is 25 years. So if you have a 25-year shingle as the ridge cap, which is the upper outermost portion that has the most sun exposure, which makes it prone to break down. Uh, so if you've got a hip, uh, a hip cap, ridge cap, anything like that, that three tab shingle is only going to be a 25 year shingle on top of and protecting a 50 year architectural shingle. So it just doesn't make sense. And, you know, just to echo what you said, you compromise a 50 year shingle warranty and you're talking hundreds, not thousands of dollars to do it the right way. And it's also why we say over and over again, it's important to have someone like you from SureTop Roofing who's certified or installer because you've been trained and you have guidelines you have to follow by the manufacturer to put these shingles on. And that way the homeowner knows I'm getting a great job. It's going to have the warranty and it's going to have the right people taking care of it. I'm going to go with spending the extra hundred dollars on that. I appreciate that. Not at all. We appreciate people that go to the extent of getting certified because it's not like you did that on a Saturday afternoon and we're done. This takes a lot of training, right? Yep. I'm blushing right now. Oh, and he looks quite handsome when he's blushing. Now, Donnie, we didn't get to several other subjects, so we're going to have to do a part two of the show next week. You up for that, man? In the words of the Terminator, I'll be back. And we'll be back for the next show next week. And you can get all the details on this show and past ones by going to the website, thecarolinacontractor.com. Hope you enjoyed this episode and tune in next week for part two. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Carolina Contractor Show. Learn more at thecarolinacontractor.com. 